You are listening to the Amazing Women Podcast, where we enjoy meaningful conversations with extraordinary women. These highly successful entrepreneurs will share their stories of remarkable success and occasionally some spectacular failures. Come join your host, entrepreneur and best-selling author Rob Kopman, as he shares this hour with you and these fascinating women. Hi, Elena. Uh, it's nice to meet you. I know we've talked before, but just briefly, I don't really know that much about you. I've looked at your website, and I've noticed that you were a coach. You used to be an attorney, I believe, right? Yes, that's right. Law. And uh, you look like you have a little bit different approach than most people, certainly most coaches. So tell us a little bit about what you do and how you do it. Well, first, Rob, let me say that it's great to be here with you. It's a real honor and a pleasure to be here. So thank you. And then second of all, um, you know, it's a funny thing because it's hard for me to separate out my experience as a lawyer from what I do now, even though what I do is completely different. But even as a lawyer, I found that what I did a lot of was counseling my clients. I was um, a contract lawyer in the music industry, a transactional lawyer in the music industry. And I found that I counseled my clients on their career, on strategy, on relationships. Uh, and those were all things that I was doing even back then. And then as I went to discover what my purpose was and realized that it was in helping other people achieve theirs, um, my goal ultimately is to, I, there's, a, there's a, a few things that I do. So the first thing is to help people grow their businesses, right? So people come to me, they hire me because they want to grow their businesses. Now, how I do that is what I think makes me unique because I can give you all the strategy in the world to help you grow to a seven-figure business. However, if you've got the mindset of a six-figure earner, there is no way that if I give you these strategies that you're going to get from here to here unless you change who you're being. And that's really the difference is to change who you're being, to change your energy, Energy, to change your, um, you know, your habits, your patterns, your environment, so that you actually become the seven-figure earner while you're still over here. Okay, and then can, it becomes, can I interrupt you for just a second? Of course. I don't mean to interrupt your flow, but you said something that really intrigues me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you talk about if you're a six-figure earner, you have a certain mindset. And if you need to yes. you want to be a seven-figure, you have to have a different mindset. Well, yes. I mean, lots of people out there that are not even six-figure mindsets yes. that starting up business, although a lot of women, especially, as you know, something like 40% of businesses are owned by women, mm -hmm. but they only control, what is it, 14% or something of the actual dollars. Yes. So they have small businesses. Very small. Right? And even then, they are, a lot of them are afraid to uh, leave their job, even if they, they don't like it and jump into the entrepreneurial mindset and start yes. the company, right? And so to them, getting six figures is a dream come true. Yes. Now, that's yes. not your ideal client, obviously, though. You, you're looking for people that already are there and want to get to that next higher level. Is that correct? Yes, yes, yes. I actually have in, in the past, earlier on in, in my career of coaching, I actually did coach women to grow six figure businesses. So that's something that I'm, I'm equipped to do and have done. There's just a different mindset that goes along with getting to six figures. There is a little bit more hustle. One of the things that I'm really passionate about, we, we talked about this in, in the first time we talked. One of the things that I'm really passionate about are helping women learn success from a more I'm going to call it a feminine paradigm. And I don't mean like dressing up in frilly skirts or anything like that. 
I mean that we tend to have learned as women how to create success from a masculine paradigm, which includes being single-minded, goal-oriented, focused, hustling, 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 grinding, grinding, grinding. And what that usually does is grind people out, creates overwhelm, burnout, and really unhealthy um, lives, you know, becoming very disconnected from the original passion that um, helped start the business in the first place. So then you're your business starts to look like the J-O-B that you just left. And there, what's the point of that? The point is, is to be able to make, you know, more money than you did in your job, having something that you really are passionate and love to do and making a big difference in the world. And so for me, it's about helping women understand, and I, I work with men to do this as well, but how to understand how to move into flow so that from those flow and peak states, so many things happen without you having to work so hard to do it. And you literally free up so much more time so that you're not working all the time. Okay. Uh, I noticed on your, I think it was your website, I saw you had something like, you know, how to work only 10 hours a week and get the same amount done. People work, but at the same time, most entrepreneurs work 80 hours a week instead of 40, right? So there's a right, little right, disconnect right. It's there. It's the idea of working tw- you know, 10 hours a week less, not, oh, not only less. 10, although okay. there are people maybe who can work 10 hours a week. Well, but... yeah, what's his name? Uh, the famous podcasting guy, he wrote books, The 4-Hour Workweek, I can't think right, of it. Right, right, Tim you know? Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. Yeah, he's made, you know, I, I tried reading his book. I, I couldn't get through it myself, but well, part of the I didn't reason get it. that Tim Ferriss works, quote unquote, four hours a week is because most of the things he does doesn't feel like work. And that's the point when oh, you're in semantics your zone. Of, then. Yeah. So when you're in your zone of genius, when you're doing what you really love to do, then it doesn't feel so much like work. You love what you do. You're able to delegate so much of the other stuff you don't love to do out so that you can sit in your zone of genius. Makes sense to me. I mean, I could work 100 hours a week easily sometimes, and it's not really work to me. I, I like it. Like, this isn't work. This is fun. Right. right. And I will say, if you're having fun, that's a really big difference because generally they found that your brain decreases productivity if you work more than 50 hours a week. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. You have diminishing returns for sure. Yes. And you start going backwards after a while even, right? Yes. Okay. So uh, back to what you're saying about a mindset, you know, what's the, uh, I know it's a tough question, but in a nutshell, what's the major differences between a $100,000 or six-figure mindset and a seven-figure mindset? How do the, how you walk into a part, into a room with people and you talk to each person for five minutes and you want to separate them all into the two different mindsets. What are you looking for? That's a great, that's a really great question. I've never been asked that question before. People say that to me all the time. I've never been asked that before. That's why I'm doing this. (laughs) So one of the things that you can tell, um, you know, I would say one of the biggest differences between, say, a six-figure mindset and a seven-figure mindset, and I'm just going to give you an analogy before I answer the question, which is, you know, when you look at, for example, lottery winners, lottery winners lose 70 to 80 percent, 70 to 80% of lottery winners lose all of their income, everything they've lost, everything they've won within 
two to three years of them winning it because they're broke at a higher bracket. They haven't up-leveled who they're being. And so because they still have the mindset of being down here, and I don't even really call it a mindset, a state of being, their state of being is down here. It means that they can't actually hold on to the wealth no matter how much wealth is given them. And one of the biggest differences that I notice between say six and seven figures is hesitance. Hesitance? Hesitance. 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 So what seven-figure business owners, they just keep going for it. They don't hesitate, right? So when they're taking action, they don't go, oh my God, what happens if this doesn't work out? What am I going to do if this doesn't work out? What does that say about me if it doesn't work out? They just go and they do it, <laughs> right? And if it doesn't work out, they learn from what didn't work out. They iterate. They do it again. They take the feedback and they do something different. It's just data and information. So they don't look at it as failure. Whereas when I look at six-figure you know, um, business owners, when they come to me, their biggest issue is about really going for it. What happens if it doesn't work out? Well, if it doesn't work out, you do something slightly different. Well, Edison famously said, you know, when they asked him how many different elements did you try for your light, light bulbs? And I don't know what the number was, 1,000 or something. Well, 10,000. You know, it was 10,000. 1,000. Okay. So well, I just learned, you know, there was 9,999 that I, now I know don't work. So let's find the next one, right? It, to him, it wasn't a failure. It was just checking a box off on his list. Exactly. Exactly. And I use that analogy a lot because that's a fantastic one because how many people would try 10,000 times before actually giving up and saying no way. But the difference is, is Thomas Edison knew it was going to work and it was only a matter of time. And so because he knew, he just kept doing it over and over and over again, slightly differently so he could figure out what worked, what didn't, this kind of works, this doesn't, take a piece from here, move it over here, try it again. And that's one of the biggest difference that I notice with, you know, when you get to multiple six and seven figures is the, the more that you do it, the more that you realize, oh, it's like you intend to fail because the more failures you have, the more you know you'll succeed. So years ago, I remember watching a talk show and, and they had a group of uh, wealthy people, millionaires, multimillionaires, whatever they were, they all made it. And then the host said to them, every each and every one of them, what would happen if you lost all your money tomorrow? How long would it take you to get back up to a million? And there are a few of them said, well, I don't know if I could ever do it again. I just got lucky. But 70% of them or more said, oh, probably a year because I know how to make money now. And that's like you're saying, right? You know how to make money and you know that failure is just part of the elimination and learning process. It's not really a failure. It's just, okay, now I know what not to do. Let's do it this way. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And, and that's, that's that mindset you're talking about. Yes, yes, yes. That's the mindset I'm talking about. And so there's an acceptance of, um, and, and also one of the things that I will say, so the two things, one gratitude. So when you look at their appreciation for what they have, they appreciate what they have a lot. Now that's not always true. I do, I do know some seven figure earners who, you know, don't feel like they have a lot and they're, they're, desiring to just keep getting more because their achievements are actually defining who they are rather than that intrinsic knowing of who they are. So they're looking externally for their validation, which most people, actually a lot of high achievers actually really do. <clears throat> that doesn't work. That doesn't work very well, does it? No, you never well, have enough. You always want more. A certain amount of success, but it won't ever get you satisfaction and happiness and fulfillment. Oh, okay. Sure. 
So it'll work for you to keep, you know, creating achievements, but in terms of feeling ever satisfied by your life, and I'm not saying that you don't want more. I think as human beings, we all desire to experience more. That's the nature of being human is the desire to experience and expand more. But there's a difference between wanting to experience more and only feeling like, oh, when I finally have that, then I'll be happy. And what I experience is the people who generally are, you know, who are getting that validation from their external environment, from their achievements, is when I finally have that, then I'll be happy. Then they finally get it and they're still not happy. So they create something else to go after because they're still not happy. Well, I have two comments about that. One of them is life is about the journey, not the destination. And so that's a big part of it. I know I've traveled around the world and I've been to Europe a few times and I've looked at tour books and I've gone with my wonderful wife and she's planned things out. And we said, let's go see this today. And then we go and we see it. And the it is typically not all that great. You know, it's fun. I, I didn't not disappointed with seeing the Eiffel Tower or the Coliseum, but it's what we experienced on the way to get there. That are the things I remember and cherish. Mm-hmm. And so life is like that too, right? It's the things you learn on the way. It's not, so much the destination we need goals yes tell me if you agree with this one i see very often let's just call it the blue collar mindset and i don't mean to put any pejorative you know um attitudes to it but just let's just call it that right um i heard heard from my own my father for example what isn't that person satisfied they already have 10 million dollars that how much is enough when's when's enough but over the years, I've talked to wealthy people who have made lots of money, and I've asked them the same question. And I've come to learn that the best answer, the one I get often is, well, it's not so much that I don't have enough. It's that once I've gotten there and I realize I could do it again, it's fun. And I'd rather try it again and see how far I can get. It's not about the money at all. Right. Money can't be a way of keeping score, but it's really about having goals and aspirations and like you said, if they don't tie that into their own ego, but just do because they want to, then they're much happier people, right? Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I use ego in a very different way than you're using ego because okay. Fair enough. Know, ego for me is sort of the subconscious mind that controls 95% of what you think and do that you're mostly not even aware of that's going on. So for me, that's, you know, that's the ego. Um, however, what I will say is that I do think that it is fun. It, it is fun. And part of it is that you get to see what you do with the money. So it isn't just about acquiring the money. It's about the impact that you can make as a result of having it. You know, one of the things that I love about working with the kind of clients that I work with is that they know that the more money they make, it just becomes a byproduct of the amount of um, service that they're being in the world, the amount of impact and difference that they're making. So the bigger the impact, the more money they make. Again, it's a byproduct. So it's fun. It is fun because they're here, they're up, you know, they're up to big things in the world. They're up to, you know, big change. And so that's fun for them to do that. Okay. I mean, Bill Gates doesn't go around the world trying to cure disease to make money. He does it because he enjoys it and it's fulfilling for him. And he's able to do that because he has so much money now. If he didn't, he wouldn't be able to do it, right? Mm -hmm. It opens up new doors for you. So the magic question then is how does somebody with a six-figure mindset, you know, what's some of the things they have to do to change their mindset to get to the, the seven-figure mindset, even if they don't really want to make the money, just it'll make them 
probably a happier, more fulfilled person. And I don't want to take away your living. I'm not looking to <laughs> teach me how to do it in five minutes and nobody has to hire you anymore. That it's, I know it doesn't take five minutes, but five minutes, even if I wanted to, because it, right. it's a daily process. I mean, that's the other thing is it's a daily process. It requires changing your perceptions about how you see the world. It requires changing your habits so that your habits are aligned with the kind of habits that you would have as a seven figure plus earner. It's changing your environment. It's really noticing what your priorities are. It's even noticing what you're noticing. What are the thoughts? What are the, you know, that are going through your head on a regular basis and being able to shift those. It's about changing how you feel. So, you know, this is going to sound a little bit law of attraction and it's way beyond law of attraction. It's actually quantum physics um, because I love quantum okay. physics, neuroscience, you know, psychology, peak performance. Those are sort of my jams. Yeah, you're a scientist. In, you know, from a quantum physics perspective, you know, our thoughts are what we're broadcasting out into the universe and our emotions are actually what's magnetizing things back to us. So if your thoughts and your, and your emotions aren't aligned with who you're being, then you don't even, like most people actually are focusing on what they don't want, but they think they're focusing on what they want. There's two sides of the stick. One side of the stick is what you want. One side of the stick is the absence of what you want. And most people are focused on the absence of what they want rather than the actual having of it. And, and that's a big difference in terms of the difference of the mindset of living as if everything that you've wanted already exists in your current now. Wow, that's fairly profound, actually, and great. And I, I see that because I you ask people, well, why do you want to make more money? And they don't usually say, because I want to go and do this. They usually say things like, Oh, because I never want to have to worry about paying bills again, because I don't want to have to work if I don't want to. It's the negative things they are trying to exactly. remove pain points, even advertising, right? In marketing, the first thing they tell you is establish your, your, your prospective audience or your customer's pain points and show them how you can alleviate that and solve it. They don't That's say- That's because most people are moving away from pain. They're not moving towards what they want. They're moving away from pain. And so you have to shift that. That's part of the major mindset. It's called negativity bias. You know, from the time from way back when we were cave people, we had this, you know, idea of searching for what's wrong because searching for what's wrong kept us alive. So when we stepped out of the cave, we didn't get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. And so our brains haven't actually evolved that much since. So we have this negativity bias that keeps us focused on what's wrong rather than what's on right. And that's a big part of the work that I do with people is shifting their brain from what's what's right, what's wrong, or what's the absence of what they have to what's right in their life already. Because so many things in life are already right and focusing your attention there and then focusing on what you do want. Got it. So let's talk about the law of attraction just for a moment, because that's trendy. It's been trendy for quite a while, actually. It's for probably going to be trendy forever. And some people, they put the little voodoo on it, right? Think of, think of what you want, act how you want to be, be treated, and you will attract what you're looking for. And, and they, they, they uh, project it or explain it as a way that you're just putting a sign on your head, basically, and saying, this is what I'm looking for. And people will read that and Give it to you, well, but in reality, it's not. Oversimplified. No, it's not. It's, it's a, not it's at a all like that. Simplified version of it, because we're attracting what we believe, whether we're conscious of it or not.
everything in your life, you're attracting what you believe. And most of the people are just doing it unconsciously. So they're getting more of what they don't want because what they're focused on is what they don't want. So, so it's not that law of attraction doesn't work. It's one of the universal principles, but it's a very incomplete principle in and of itself. It's not like you can, you know, hope your way to having something happen. And then all of a sudden it's going to fall in your lap. And the other piece of that generally is while things do come to us, we, we can magnetize and attract them and create them. It also requires action. Action is actually a big part of it, but it has to be aligned and inspired action. It's not just action for the sake of taking action. It's aligned and inspired action. Well, is it fair to say that the law of, attract, law of attraction is really uh, being able to decide on what it is you're looking for and recognizing it? when it comes across and going out and, and grabbing it? I would say what law of attraction really is, is saying I am aligning who I am being. Everything in the universe, everything, you know, this mic right here, my laptop that we're talking on, all has a vibrational frequency, right? We have a vibrational frequency. What differentiates me from you is that I am vibrating at a different vibrational frequency and this mic is vibrating at a different vibrational frequency of me. And that's really the only difference. Everything is energy. We are actually only made up of 0.00001% matter. Everything else is actually energy, right? And so when we align our energy with that experience that we are seeking to experience, it can't help but manifest in the world. And that's essentially what law of attraction is, is it talks about like attracts like. So whatever the vibration is, uh, whatever your thoughts are that you're having will attract attract a like experience. Um, and, and it isn't necessarily like, okay, I'm a really grouchy person, so I'm going to attract a really grouchy person. It might be, I'm going to attract an experience that makes me feel really grouchy, right? So it's about experiences. And that's pretty much what the law of attraction does. But as I said, it's a very incomplete tool. It's only one of the many principles of um, universal principles. So when somebody says, well, I'm a lucky guy or I'm, a, I'm an unlucky woman or whatever, they're not so much, well, they are lucky because they have learned what you're saying and they have learned yes. how to attract good things into their life rather than, than the negative things, right? That's kind of what luck is all about. It's not really born with some magic element. It's That's being true. able to focus your mind Yes. to control your energy level, to grab yes. what it is you're looking for. Yes. And often those people who talk about luck, it's because they're not aware that they're doing it. They're not conscious of what it is that they're doing that's creating it in the first place. So it feels coincidental oh, okay. rather, than, rather than created. Yeah, that's a very good point. It does feel coincidental. And people ask me, are you a lucky guy or unlucky? What, you what do you like? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a pretty lucky guy. Look what I have. You know, look what I'm surrounded with and look what I've done. And, and sometimes it feels coincidental. But when I really think about it, I realize, no, I put myself in the right mindset to attract that. And when it came around, I was smart enough to grab it and then ambitious enough to work on it until I got it right. And, and it really wasn't coincidental at all, even though it really sometimes felt like it at the time. Yes, yes, of course, of course. That's and not. that's because, you know, the more, the more conscious you become at understanding how these principles work and working within the framework of them, the more that you can see it happen rather than it feeling like, the more that you actually realize that you're the cause and you're seeing the effect. Okay, 
That, that's, I get that completely. That makes okay. perfect sense. So, okay. So taking all that mm-hmm. and then you use that as a big part of your arsenal, right? A tool to help yes. people move on to the next level. Um, so what could I leave some of my listeners? It's also combined with, you know, strategies, systems. So, you know, I don't just look at this and say, okay, you're going to change who you're being and then everything's going to work out. Although for a lot of my clients, it actually happens that way, where the minute they change their state of being, all kinds of synchronicities and people and resources that they need show up in their life that help them move their business in the exact way that they wanted when we first started working together. But I actually do then help my clients with the right strategies strategies with the right, you know, systems so that they can actually scale their business because what got you to six figures isn't going to get you there, both in, in who you're being, but also in this kinds of systems that you're using. Okay. I, <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with that. That sounds like a, a, a pretty deep curriculum. You know, how do you learn how to do that on the surface? It sounds relatively simple. It but is simple. In reality, simple. well, you know what? Often we make things more complicated than they are, right? Sure. We have to go through all these machinations to get into the right place or to get to the right, I don't know, to get what we want to get to. Then after we're there, we realize, oh, that was really easy. What I did on Wednesday afternoon just did all this. But right. it took me all year to get to Wednesday afternoon. Exactly, exactly. I like to say it's simple but not easy. Okay, Yeah. Yeah, well, you know what? It doesn't really matter if it's easy. It matters if it's worth doing. Absolutely. I, I love that. I love that reframe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my business partner for my publishing business, Bill, he's always harping me on that. I said, well, should we do this or is it, is it worth the work? Is it, is it hard to do? And he looks at me and he goes, what's the difference? It doesn't matter if it's hard. Uh, if, if it'll work and it's worth, it's worth doing, let's do it. I don't care how hard, I don't care if I have to work 95 hours this week, as long as the end result is what we want. Uh, so it's the same kind of mindset. It doesn't matter if it's easy or hard, it's just is it worth doing and do you enjoy doing it? Right. Right. That's key. If, do you enjoy doing it? And, and uh, success is a lot of fun. Even mm-hmm. if it's it not your first passion, <laughs> it's still fun to be successful, right? It's really fun to be successful. On any, on any level. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So... Give me a quick definition of what your ideal client looks like to you. Sure. So I, I, um, for my group programs, I work with women only, but for my one-on-one clients, I do work with both men and women. Um, and they're high achievers who um, you know, are change agents in the world. So they're doing you know, fabulous work in the world. I only work with service-based industries. Uh, and, you know, they're, they know that they're ready to level up to the next level and do what it takes to do that, get out of their comfort zone to do that. Um, and those are, those are the people that I love to work with most. That sounds pretty simple. Mm-hmm. So when you say a service business, you, you're talking about somebody who does not sell a product, right? That's correct. So they sell That's themselves or they sell a group of people that help somebody do something. Yes. Okay, yes. Or it could even be a carpet cleaner. That's a service business. But somebody who manufactures widgets, that's definitely not a service business. Right, 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 right. I, my zone of genius is not in helping you understand how to sell more widgets. I don't necessarily understand that. I do understand how to sell more services. <laughs> no, but you would be able to train somebody how to be a consultant to, a, to an industry that sells widgets. 
right? Yes, absolutely. You train the consultant, not the guy who makes the fact, make the widgets in the factory. Exactly. Exactly. Not the manufacturer of the widgets, but the consultant who's selling services to the widget manufacturer. That's the service. Mm -hmm, That's the service. Now, would you consider an attorney a service industry? Uh, actually, I would consider an attorney a service industry. And it's funny, I have a, a little side part of my business that I'm doing with another partner. Uh, she's been a, um, a law firm and lawyer consultant uh, strategist for since the early 90s. And we're working with AM100 law firms, helping them do some of the things that I do with my other clients we're doing for, for law firms. So yeah, lawyers definitely are service-based industries. I've worked with real estate agents I've worked with physicians. I've worked with digital marketers. I've worked with um, somebody who owns a salon and spa. I've worked with many coaches and consultants. Um, yeah, just a, a cross section of some of my clients. So there's a there's a wide berth there. I mean, it's just as long as they don't make something and as long as they do something, that's pretty much a service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and America actually is transformed into being mostly a service economy, isn't it? And we don't make that many things anymore. So you must have a a wide range of people to choose from to be clients for you. So it's funny, I've never thought about it that way. And even though we don't make it here, there's a lot of companies that have their manufacturing outsourced, but are still sellers of products. So, you know, they may not manufacture in the States, but their their business is still a product-based business. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I know a lot of people complain that everything's made in China, but when you look under the, under the rug, you realize a lot of those companies are owned by American business people. Yes, it's, exactly. It's smoke and mirrors. We're not really sending, we're getting our labor over there, but we're not really sending the business over there. Uh, but that's a whole nother. I was just going to say, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go into that. Like Apple's one of the biggest countries in the world, I always say. And they keep most of their money offshore, but that's, again, a whole different mm-hmm. of, of conversation. Um, okay. Uh, have you, by chance, written any books? Have I read many books? No, written. Oh, I haven't. I'm actually about to start writing a book now. I've been asked to, um, to co-author a book, and I would love to do that on, um, it's, it's funny, it's on very similar principles, but it's the idea of gain without pain for entrepreneurship. And um, we'll see if that happens, if it actually happens. But I, I've you know, been asked to co-author a book because it's a series of books that talk about gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment, which are many of the principles that I teach my clients that shift your state of being uh, and how to utilize them to create success in entrepreneurship. Do you find women are more receptive to things like that than men? Um, that's a great question. I have a bunch of male clients. So I find that my clients tend to be, I I guess people who are gravitating to me tend to be open to it anyway. I find more and more people are starting to become aware of it. One of the clients that I worked with a couple of years ago, he was a digital marketer, had a half a million dollar business, was stuck at that plateau for a bunch of years. And he I would not have described him as a spiritual person or even open to any of these principles, but he'd spend a couple hundred grand on business coaches, not being able to grow his business. So he came to a place of going, okay, 
I feel like I'm the problem and I need to shift. And he finally got to that point and we worked together and he was able to shift and break through the income plateau that he was at. So as a result, I feel um, that more and more people are starting to become receptive to this work. Well, that's nice to hear that there's uh, improvements abound. Uh, that reminds me of uh, <laughs> magazines and books about dieting and that lots of people buy diet books. They want to start a diet. The first thing they go out is buy or download a book, right? And then doing the actual program is a lot more difficult and they give up. And that's because, like you said earlier, they're, they're running away from eating too much. They're not running towards being healthier or yes. being thinner, right? They're, they're looking to alleviate that pain point rather than get to a better place in a positive way. Right. And so that, that's one of the reasons, I guess, it doesn't work. But it's also the reason that there's always those same headlines on the magazine stands uh, in all the supermarkets or wherever they see them because people still buy that because most people think that way and they're looking to how to alleviate their pain rather than how to take the next step in a positive direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that is the way. Now, there are certain people, um, a certain, I think, high achievers who they've gotten to a certain level of success. Because when you have a multiple six-figure business and you're not worried about paying your bills, you don't have the same level of pain. For a lot of those people, the level of pain that they're experiencing is, I know I have this potential. I, this potential is like way over here, but I'm living over here and I'm not accomplishing my full potential. And that is the thing that really drives them of them wanting to feel like they, you know, so it, it isn't, it isn't the pain of being able to pay their bills or not having a certain level of financial freedom. They may not quite have the financial freedom that they want, but they still have a lot of financial freedom. And so that isn't really the issue. There's a deeper drive to actualize their potentiality that is really what's driving them. To make a bigger impact is really what's driving them. So those people do tend to move towards what they want rather than away from pain. Now, I also have experienced a lot of people who are at that level and are working all the time, you know? And so even though they've achieved a lot of the trappings of the success they've wanted, they're not living the lifestyle they want because they're working all the time. And so they do, they are wanting to move away from the pain of working all the time, of potentially imploding, you know, their relationships with their significant other and their family and even their friends. And so they are interested in alleviating that pain and working less and figuring out how do they either maintain or grow their success, but not actually be working all the time doing it? So, the, <coughs> excuse me, the, the, the uh, trendy term is work-life balance for that, right? Yeah, I, I, don't, I really don't like that idea of work-life Good, I'm glad balance. you don't like it. I don't like it either. <laughs> I'll tell you why I don't like it. <laughs> it is because when you think about a balance scale, if, if the idea is that, okay, this is going to take more weight and this is my work right now, then that means that my relationships are like way up here. They're not really doing really well. And if you focus all on your relationships, then that means your work goes like this. So there's never really a balance of it. I prefer work-life harmony or work-life integration because I believe that business owners can actually integrate their lives with their work in a way that's more harmonious. Well, you know, somebody who spends 90% of that time on work and 10% on their relationships who do the relationship part well, 
is a lot more fun to be around than the person who spends 50-50 and is not very good at their relationship, right? So the, the balance not is not even important. Even though, right. Or not present, even though they're around 50% of the time, but they're not present <laughs> because they're always thinking about their work or, you know, having difficulty relaxing or feeling anxious or whatever it is. Yeah, there's a lot of, I see that a lot in, <laughs> I see it in it's funny, I see it in tourism. Human behavior is human behavior. I guess it doesn't matter what they're doing. You know, I see these people that are on vacation, they're looking at something gorgeous like the Grand Canyon, and they're not really looking at it. They're looking in their phone, taking a picture of it. And when right. they get the picture, they go, okay, let's go. I got a good photo. And then later on, or in the car on the way home, they're looking at all their pictures. They never mm -hmm. actually stopped to look at the Grand Canyon while they were there. Right. They weren't right. present. Right? You, it's good to have both. And, and that's actually one of the things that I teach my clients a lot is about how to be more present with what is, you know, so that you can experience being in the moment. All we ever have is this moment. Right. You know, the past already happened. Even in this moment is now already the past. The future doesn't exist. So all we ever have is this moment. So it's very key to be present in the moment. Okay. Well, I'm going to be a little greedy here before we go and ask you for some free advice as a podcaster and, and as a new podcaster, uh, what would you tell me to bring my, my new project here, my podcasting project to the, to the next very successful uh, level? Do you have anything I should look out for? Anything I should do? Any words of wisdom you could give me that I could uh, follow? Hmm, great question. Um, you know, you and I talked a little bit about your podcast and your audience. One of the first things that I talk about with my clients is ensuring that you have your target. And I, I don't even like these words. I use much softer words, the idea of target audience or prospecting. Like those to me aren't words that I use because then you turn people into things. You hmm. objectify them rather than make it relational. So who is your audience? You know, like getting really clear about who your audience is and the kind of content that you can provide for them that will really deeply resonate with them that they will want to tune into. And so those are the two things that if you can do, will, it will be amazing how exponentially it will grow your podcast because then the people that you want to tune in will know that you're speaking to them and know to tune in. Does that make sense? Yeah, you can't uh, talk to the whole world and expect them all nope. to be interested in you. And you know the the old expression, "the riches are in the niches," right? Makes it's kind of disgusting, but it makes sense, right? If you're what you really boils down to is, if you can figure out who you want to talk to and who you're trying to attract, and figure out what it is that not so much what they want, but what you can supply to them to make their lives better, mm -hmm. and walk away saying, "Oh, I'm I feel better now than I did an hour ago." Uh, then you're successful and you can't do that unless you really know your audience and know what they're looking for. Right. So but, but I, need to I, I, that. I would actually um, say that you can focus on what it is they really want. Because if you think, okay, I, I have these high achievers as a client, these are high achieving women. And I think I know, like, for example, I know what my clients need, but what my clients need is not what they actually want. And there's a really big difference. And if I'm marketing to what they need that will make their lives better, it will not resonate with them because it's not in their own language. They won't understand that I'm really talking to them. You know, that reminds me of that old famous quote. I love this quote from Steve Jobs. I have to look it up so I get the exact words, but you'll forgive me. But it's something like, you know, people don't know what they want until I show it to them. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of truth to that. People think they know what they want or what they need, but they often don't. And you yes. have to be smart enough to figure out what do they 
really want or what do they really need? How can I give that to them? Mm-hmm. As a financial advisor, I have to do it all the time. I ask people questions and people say, what should I do? I want to save money for retirement. What do you think I should do? And I always say, well, it depends. What do you really want? Right. How do you see your retirement? What do you, mm-hmm. do you have grandkids you want to visit four times a year? Do you want to go traveling? Do you want to just stay home and not worry about paying your bills? I mean, what is it that you really want? And why do you want that? And once I get down to that fourth level, then I can help them. Right, right. And, and I have to say that's the other thing that I do with my clients as well is clarity on the vision, clarity on your audience, and clarity on the why. You know, those are the foundational pieces of every business, because if you're not aligned with those three pieces, then everything that you build on top of that is like a house of cards. You know, uh, I wrote my, my book for the Jewish holiday of Passover. It's my publishing business. Mm-hmm. And it was a radically different uh, book at the time for what I was trying to do. And this is a 5,000 year old holiday or whatever. <laughs> and uh, people have been celebrating it a certain way for a long time. And I wanted to bring something different to the table. I, I had an idea of what people should be doing or would like to be doing and wrote this thing really in an unconventional way in some way, in a lot of ways. And it worked because I had a feeling that people really wanted something else. They just never asked for it. Mm. And I had to learn my, and be, being that I'm one of them, I knew my audience pretty well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I knew what I wanted, different that wasn't out there. And I figured, well, if I want it, maybe other people want it. So I wrote the thing for me, basically. And I mm-hmm. put it out there. It turns out, half a million copies later, there's a few people who wanted it the way I want it. That's amazing. <laughs> so it's amazing, yeah. But it's, it rings true to what you're saying to me, mm-hmm. that you have to really be smarter than the average bear, as Yogi used to say, and, mm-hmm. and understand what people really need or really want, even if they don't know it, and then yes. give that to them. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So last thing I want to ask you, and that is since I'm doing a podcast for Amazing Women, uh, and there are lots of you guys out there, lots of you women out there that are amazing. Um, my mother's one of them, for example. You know, she's one of the most amazing women I know. It's, but anyway, um, what's different about amazing women versus amazing men? Because I want to target my podcast to uh, my audience. Anybody can listen in, of course, but I'm looking mm-hmm. to talk to uh, women rather mm-hmm. than men. Mm-hmm. So what's the basic difference between their mindsets? That's a really great question too. You know, when I look at the difference between innate qualities between um, the masculine and the feminine, now we all have masculine and feminine energies in us. It's just depending on what balance it is, whether or not your exterior kind of comes off as more masculine or more feminine, right? I'm going to have to call you out on that for a second though, because we're not going to use the word balance, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. So it's depending on which one is more dominant. That's actually what I normally say. Okay. Right. So if you have a lot of masculine um, energy, you tend to have dominant masculine energy. A a lot of high achieving women have a lot of dominant masculine energy. It's it's not harmonized for them. But when you look at the innate qualities of them, you know, women naturally are uh, nurturing. We're emotional. and, and, And it's been like a horrible thing. It's considered a weakness to be emotional, but it's actually the biggest blessing to be in touch with your emotions. We're intuitive. We're collaborative you know, where, um, so those are some of the innate feminine qualities, whereas masculine qualities are like the logical, the analytical, the goal oriented, you know, the, um, 
uh, the uh, more assertive, those are more masculine type of qualities. And so when you look to, um, for me, it's about taking these innate feminine qualities that we as women have and helping women understand that these are actually strengths because we naturally possess them. We naturally possess all of these qualities. And a lot of times we try to suppress them because we've been raised to believe that they're weak and, and what's really valued in society are these masculine qualities. So actually speaking to the strengths of the, the feminine. I speak to so many, I mean, I speak about to 10 or 12 women a week, you know, networking, you know, through LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn as, as my platform. And as I network, one of the things that I talk about are more and more women who are waking up to the idea that they can't do business the way that they used to do it, that we are sort of told how we have to do it all. We have to take care of the family and the kids and run the business and take care of this and be, you know, if you're married, be a spouse. And it's like, you know, men have a seemingly much easier job in terms of the expectations. I'm sure men wouldn't say that, but in terms of what women believe, you know, that, that men have a much easier time of it because we have all of these different hats that we have to wear. And so as a result, understanding how to develop more of those feminine qualities, because those are the qualities that actually move us into flow. Those are the qualities that make us go from hustle and grind into like working significantly less. And the more that you can speak to those, because I believe women will resonate. Like every time I talk to women about it, they resonate very deeply with it. You know, so I, when I start to describe what I experience in high achieving women to them, they're like, oh my God, it's like you're in my head. So they really resonate with it. And so I think that speaking to those aspects of how it's possible to create, a, you know, to be really amazing and create a certain level of success and own who you really are authentically does really resonate with women. Oh, that's a, that's a handful. That was great. Yeah, that's really, uh, that's it. I mean, that's, that's what I need to embrace. And, and I, I get that. And um, so I guess it's okay if I cry at movies, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm teasing. I do, but that's not, not really, not, not neither here nor there. But uh, seriously, I do understand what you're saying. And I will take that to heart. And uh, I, I think that's going to uh, make a big difference in my mindset going forward. I was headed in that direction clearly, but that really clarified it, solidified it for me. And so I, I really do appreciate your putting it in such, such succinct vocabulary so my that pleasure. I can really internalize it, if you will. Yeah, um, yeah. You've been a, a joy to talk to. I really appreciate you doing this and, and being so uh, generous with your, your advice and opinions and, and uh, your open attitude. I can see why you do the things you do and why you're probably very, very good at it. I'm very, very good at it. Thank you. And you know, see that. So what I'm, what I'm, um, what I'm modeling here is the feminine paradigm. Because you know, for me, it's about collaboration. Like if I believe that if I withhold information from you, I'm going to be more successful. I'm in competition with you. I'm coming from a scarcity mindset. Yeah, I'm coming from there isn't mindset. enough for everyone, and so I have to withhold, and I can't help elevate you. But I actually believe that the more I elevate you, the more I become elevated. And so therefore, that's an abundance mindset, which allows me to share so much more freely. 
Yeah, I, I, I hear that a lot, but most people use it as a, just as a cliche, but you really mean it. And I, I I've seen, really mean it. I do. And I've seen people who really mean it and it works for them because they all have done very well. And the ones who don't have that, they're, they're just resentful. They're not doing that well. They have to get out of their own way, you know? Yes. So I, I get that. Even um, I belong to a networking group for my financial planning business. It's called B&I. It's the largest. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm ne- you know them? Okay? Mm-hmm. Business Networking International. Yep. And their, their, uh, their slogan is givers gain. Mm-hmm. which is the same thing. They say, you know, just give of yourself, give your referrals, give information to people. You'll get back, you know, a lot more than you've ever given. And that's true with philanthropy and a lot of things in life. And I find that uh, lots of successful, you know, CEO types uh, or other business people that have done really well, you call them and talk to them. They're always happy to share their time and information with you. It's easier to talk to them than the run of the mill employee half the time mm-hmm. because that's just who they are. And that's why they're, that's why they're where successful. they are, right? That, that's exactly why. They understand why collaboration. Doing. Even a great example is a, maybe, you know, a president or a politician, you know, they have a big Rolodex. They have all these people that they can talk with. And I think it was Henry Ford who said, yeah, I don't know anything. I just know which button to push so I know who to talk to and to give me the advice I need, right? That's right. collaboration. That's, that's fine. That is collaboration. Although, although Henry Ford said that when he was on trial for libel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, you can take some things out of context and then use them. <laughs> although that, that did work because he, you know, I think he was called stupid and he basically said, why do I need to know this pointless information when I can push any button on a phone and get the information basically at will? Like, yeah. isn't that smart? <laughs> that was his genius disguise of stupidity just like yeah in school when they told me you got to memorize these formulas i mean why i can just look them up when i need them right you know what's the point i just you need to better off learning how it works and why it works not what the formula is or whatever you know anything like that yeah and, and henry ford actually said one of my favorite quotes which is if you believe you can or you believe you can't you're right oh that's a great one yeah i think i'm gonna leave on that one <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like the little the kid's story, the little engine, right? The one I they they believe he could or something. Uh-huh. Like that. Uh, the little well, engine that could. Exactly. Yeah, the little engine that could. That's it. I mean, that's a classic old time mm-hmm. story, but that's the same lesson, right? We we are who we think we are, mm-hmm. yeah, and we so. do what we think we can do. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you and I are going to do a lot because we both think we can do a lot of stuff, right? And mm-hmm. do, do it better than than anybody else, and so. Watch us go. Ah, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I know you wanted to close, but I'm going to say do it better than anybody else. I'm only, the only competition I have is with myself. How can I be the best version of me? I'm not thinking about being better than you. Yeah, that was really kind of a softball comment. Uh, one, whatever, <laughs> at you. I knew you, would, you wouldn't leave that alone. <laughs> oh, yeah. What can I say? This has been great. Uh, thanks a lot for entertaining me for an hour. Thank you. It's been an absolute delight. Thanks for joining us today on the Amazing Women podcast. Subscribe now and get the latest episodes sent to your device every week. Go to our website, theamazingwomenpodcast.com to hear bonus episodes, download free business tools, and join our family of amazing women. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.